Welcome to The Bean Pod, a podcast about decentralized finance and the Beanstalk protocol. I'm your host, Rex. Before we get started, we always want to remind everyone that on this podcast, we are very optimistic about decentralized finance in general and Beanstalk in particular. With that being said, three things. First, always do your own research before you invest in anything, especially what we talk about here on the show. Second, while you're doing that research, try to find as many well-developed opposing viewpoints as possible to get the best overall picture. And third, never ever invest money that you can't afford to lose or at least be without for a while. And with that, on with the show. The development of smart contracts has opened up an entirely new universe of functionality on blockchains. These smart contracts are really the reason that decentralized finance can take place at all. They allow for automatic executions that don't require outside parties or human validators, making the process efficient and trustless. Developing and working on smart contracts, however, isn't without challenge. As contracts become larger and more complex, staying within technical constraints like contract size limit is more difficult. Additionally, fixing problems and making improvements to large contracts is challenging, a process that could be improved by modularizing the contracts and being able to make adjustments to individual components. In 2018, a Solidity developer named Nick Mudge was facing just such difficulties. In response, he developed EIP-2535, or what's now known as the Diamond Standard. Processes written using the Diamond Standard externally appear to be a single smart contract. However, beneath that single address can lie a number of other contracts called facets, each of which can have their own requirements and functionality. Now, a week before the governance exploit in April, Publius and I had the opportunity to interview Nick for the podcast. Because of the attack that happened just a few days later, this episode was set aside, but we loved talking with Nick and are excited to release that interview now. Also, one more quick item of note. During this episode, you'll hear multiple Publius, and because it was recorded before the exploit and their subsequent self-doxing, you'll be hearing them using their voice modulators. So for those of you who miss their old school robot voices, you're in for a treat. And we hope you enjoy it. Publius, welcome as always. Thank you, Rex. Really looking forward to having a conversation with Nick today and um, exploring the EIP 2535 standard. And Nick, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the pod. Thank you. Glad to be here. To start us off, you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Yeah, sure. So my background is in software development. Uh, I did that for many years. And then in 2018, I got into Solidity development and smart contract development and NFTs and DeFi stuff and and uh, just you know made stuff. I have worked on projects and then worked on the, the uh, Diamond Standard. Sounds great. And so for what it's worth, could you explain the Diamond Standard to me? Could you give me that EL, ELI5 explanation or ELI5 explanation of the Diamond Standard? Sure, I'll try to do that. Uh, you know, it, it can be sort of used for different things, but so I'll sort of talk about the common case that, that I see are the common ca the common cases for it. Uh, essentially, it's um, it's a way it's a smart contract pattern or architecture that uh, is used to solve certain problems and make certain things easier. So specifically, when you deploy a smart contract, 
there's a limit of how much functionality that contract can have. So if you deploy an NFT, okay, you can do a bunch of stuff, but then that's it. And then uh, you have to deploy another contract, which is fine. But in some cases, you may want to deploy something and then, um, or, or you might want to deploy something large, but it's that one contract. And so the diamond enables you to do that. So you can, you can essentially have one contract with unlimited amount of functionality in that one contract. And then so that that provides some benefits, like if you're going to make a user interface, you know, it's easier for a user interface to connect to one contract rather than five different ones, uh, for example. Or, you know, if you're going to be interacting with having other systems interact with you, if you can provide them one contract address, that's easier than, than more. So that's an example. Uh, it, it provides um, another aspect that's, that's used is some projects, they might want to launch their project and get it in production and get going and however they don't they they want to initially build something useful but it's not everything that they want to do like they maybe they want to launch and get user feedback and experience what their project is like and then you know then later they realize they want to expand their system there's features that their users are, are asking for etc so the diamond provides a uh, a standard way to uh, upgrade a smart contract system uh, over time that and it can grow um, it, as large as, as needed. So uh, whereas you know if you just there are upgradable contracts but typically other upgradable contracts again they run into a size limit. You can have one contract you can upgrade it to add more functionality but then there's a, a limit of, of how big it can get. And so th those are a couple of things It also adds some transparency into it so that, you know, if there if you do make a diamond that's upgradable, um, there's an event that gets emitted, a standard event that keeps track of what um, what's been changed. And, and so then external people can can look, have that 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 chance to look at to see what's that, you know, it's transparent. You can see what how it's upgraded over time. So, Nick, it sounds like you know, based on the functionality and, you know, the kind of dynamic nature of the diamond standard, it sounds like you were trying to, to solve a specific problem. Was there a, a specific instance or something that you were working on at the time that kind of presented itself and showed the need for this, this greater flexibility in terms of updates and this, this ability to manage contract size? Yeah, so in uh, 2018, I was working on another standard called ERC-998, and this is the idea of an NFT uh, owning another NFT or owning ERC-20 tokens and being able to control it. Um, so in developing that standard, I implemented a refer reference implementation, and uh, and I made my own project. It's called Mokens.io, and it's um, still out there on the internet. But uh, these Mokens were NFTs that could um, own other NFTs, other ERC721s, and can own ERC20s. You can transfer these things in, you know, into Mokens and out of them, and, and and things like that. So, anyways, when I was when I was implementing that, I ran into the maximum contract size limit of a contract. I had this Mokens and this NFT contract. I was implementing, you know, the standard uh, for NFTs at the time, seven uh, seven two one. I was um, doing the um, uh, the composable stuff, the 
the ERC-998 and I was also adding some custom functionality and it just got too big. And so then at that time I started looking for solutions to, you know, in this case, having an NFT, it didn't make sense to have multiple contracts for an NFT. I wanted my NFT to exist in one contract and its functionality to exist in one contract. Um, so I was, that's really when the problem presented itself when I looked around and um, looked for solutions and and um, and then I started working on that problem and uh, yeah so it's, and then so and then also in 2018 I um, released an early version of the Diamond Standard it was, it was a it was um, had a different name uh, it was an earlier iteration of it and that uh, later got um, replaced by what we have now the diamond standard but uh so i started working the problem in 2018 and got feedback from people in the space and got um experience with it and so really when when the diamond standard um was that that standard was first released in uh in 2020 um there's already been you know i'd already been thinking about it for two years and working with it and dealing with it uh there's some couple projects at least that had it that had um, the earlier standard in production um, so um, but uh, but also you know so that originally was to solve that max contract size limit so you could have a contract with unlimited functionality but then then but then there were other use cases that I found out about that were useful like for example it provided a a, a code uh, structure, a way to struct, if you have a lot of smart contract functionality, it provides a, a structure that's, um, that, that's pretty applicable to a lot of domains. You know, you could create DeFi systems, a way to organize your code with how the, the smart contracts work and how the EVM works and things like that. It just, so it provides that, that as well, which is, which is what I find useful. So it sounds like you're originally looking at contract size, managing contract size, adding functionality. And it almost sounds like that ability to work in multiple facets was kind of an incidental or unexpected opportunity that you discovered. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. 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 We found that, you know, you could put common functionality into a single faucet and really organize your, or your, your code base. Uh, that way where, you know, common functionality goes together. And so, yeah, you have this nice separation of things and then a way to share data between them um, as, as part of that. So. Is there anything else that like through that process that you either, you know, kind of change your approach about the problem you're trying to solve or on the other hand, change your understanding of like the Ethereum source code through the development process? Well, I'd, I'd say that uh, before the Diamond Standard, I, I really didn't use Solidity libraries. Um, I just didn't really have that much need uh, uh, for them, but I found that Solidity libraries work very well with, with a Diamond. Um, specifically, internal functions of Solidity libraries. This was because you can write a Solidity library you know, with a bunch of functionality once, and then for different faucets of the faucets of the diamond, you can import that library and re you know reuse it. So that was uh, found to be pretty pretty useful as a sharing mechanism. Uh, also, you know I think it's um, 
around sometime in 2020 or, or so, um, there was a change to the Solidity compiler, which made a new way to store data in contracts possible, which is, you know, now commonly called the diamond storage, um, where you can enable you to choose where to store data in a contract. Anyways, it, it turned out to be very useful for uh, these proxy contracts and for the diamond. Um, and the, anyways, that, that helped with the code organization and, and, and things like that. Um, so, so using Solidity libraries and the diamond storage were, were, were both very useful for diamonds and I think for proxy contracts in general. It's really interesting. So next question I have really is, I'm going to throw it to Publius first, and then Nick, we'll see if you have any additional thoughts. So when we think about Beanstalk protocol, Publius, why does it matter that Beanstalk uses the diamond standard? How does that affect user experience, improve functionality, et cetera? Great question. So, you know, a lot of it kind of stems from things Nick said earlier, specifically, you know, things like the fact that facets can share functionality through libraries and the fact that, you know, Beanstalk truly is just one contract. In earlier iterations of Beanstalk, before we were fortunate enough to kind of discover and use the diamond standard, Beanstalk was a collection of separate contracts, which is fairly standard for large protocols. And all of these cross-contract calls between these different contracts costs some, you know, amount of gas. And that amount of gas is non-significant. And Beanstalk, with all its different interoperable parts, has a lot of cross-contract functionality. So with the diamond standard, we can move that cross-contract functionality to these libraries such that each facet can individually include all the functionality while being able to code it in a clean and readable manner instead of having to make these cross-contract calls, which, you know, add significant gas overhead. Secondly, the Beanstalk contract has just one address. For any user that's trying to interact with Beanstalk or build some kind of protocol on top of Beanstalk, it's very easy for them to just attach the Beanstalk ABI, which is the interface through which you interact with Beanstalk, to the Beanstalk contract address, and then instantly be able to access all of Beanstalk's functionality. If Beanstalk was, say, five, six different contracts, users would have to independently attach the ABI of each specific contract to each address. And, you know, that can kind of become a mess and get very confusing. Thirdly, from a development perspective, upgradability with the Diamond Standard is incredibly easy and straightforward. This has allowed us to kind of develop faster and be able to be confident with BIPs and anytime we deploy upgrades, you know, kind of really understand and feel comfortable that all the functionality is going to change as we expected. Upgradability across multiple contracts becomes kind of, you know, a bigger, more challenging problem to make sure all the contracts references to each other are updated. And with the diamond standard, this problem is completely alleviated. And there's, there's also the thing where if you have an upgradable contract and it's large and you want to make a small change to it, then with, you know, with a nor typical upgrade, you have to redeploy the whole thing, which can, you know, well, with a, with a diamond, you can just deploy just that function or just that set of functionality um, and not everything. So it's a nice thing. Yeah. As a, as a non-technical expert, what I hear is that ability to utilize kind of this modular setup 
to make changes or improvements, bug fixes, etc., in a way that A, gives the developers kind of a smaller package to work inside of, and B, sounds like it can be managed somewhat separate from the core functionality. You know, you're not necessarily um, putting other components at risk or uh, potentially adding complexity where you, you don't need to in terms of having to redeploy, you know, an entire protocol. Yes, yes. Uh, and, you know, every case is sort of uh, in, you know, it's case by case uh, in that, like, in, I think in some cases, some upgrades, you might upgrade something and it, and that upgrade just touches a very small amount. And so it's easy to think with. And then other great, you know, it really depends uh, case by case, like some upgrades might be you know, touching different data that's used different places. So, but it it, it, does, it is true that the the diamond on the upgrade thing it does help separate different parts that are going on. So you can kind of you can think uh, on a smaller basis to some degree when you're doing upgrades, which is helpful. So we talked through kind of a couple of really key functions of the diamond standard. If Nick, if you were pitching this idea to a developer besides the contract size management and the the modular capability of the faucets are there any other features or components that you would want to say hey don't forget about this you know this this standard can do this other thing too yeah so the, there's a lot of aspects to it and i sometimes forget about parts of it and wish i said hey what about that you know uh so like uh, and might do that here i mean one other aspect is that um you know, with a diamond, it's really a, an architecture that's pretty general purpose to solve, I wouldn't say any problem, but a lot of problems, a lot of things. You can implement DeFi protocols, NFT systems, integrations with things. And so it provides, but as I said, it provides this, this common structure, this common way of thinking that's workable. And so what, what's, what's useful about that is that, you know, you may develop the system, have a couple of developers and it's good for if you're going to hire future developers, you know, now they have to get familiar with their system. If it's a diamond, there's there's a already lots of documentation about how diamonds work. So there's material they can study. And then if they're already familiar with, with you know, the diamond architecture, that pattern and so on, it'll, it'll bring them, it'll be a lot faster for them to come up to speed with your system. Because there's a problem if, you know, if, if there's a, um, a project and they do a completely custom system and it's like completely done their own way they hire anybody that they have a, this 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 time where they where they have to come up to speed with it and come familiar so um the diamond sort of documents if you do a diamond your system is already halfway documented for you with with how the diamond works so there's that there's that kind of benefit there um and then let's, let's see i mean I'm sure there's other things there's um Tooling is a thing where um, there's um, there's a website called looper.dev, which if you put in a diamond address, it will show you all the faucets and all the functions and of, of, a, of any diamond, and then you can call the functions on, on there. Um, there's uh, I, I just there, there's already some tooling like people have made tools specifically for diamonds, um, and I see that is coming more in the future where they'll just be like integrations and things that work with diamonds because it's a standard. Nice. So next question is more directed at Publius. Um, 
beyond the the functionality that we've already talked about a little bit um, up to this point, was there anything else that drew you to implement Beanstalk as a diamond? And right along with that, like let's say that we were able to you know hop in our time machine and head back to, you know, let's say Thanksgiving, two Thanksgivings ago, would you approach that implementation differently? So, you know, Nick, it's funny to hear about your experience with, you know, kind of the contract slides limit. And it seems like, you know, every Solidity, Solidity developer has that experience where, you know, they're building their first large protocol and they're just developing, developing, developing. And then suddenly they're like, you know, see that error, contract size limit reached, contract too big. And, you know, you're a little bit like, what's going on here? Like, it's not a problem that you run into very much and, in, you know, other disciplines of computer science, but it is one that, you know, you don't really realize the thing, but is really influential and in how it has kind of shaped the direction in which smart contracts have headed. Um, and, you know, kind of got to the point where, you know, we were, you know, working on dividing Beanstalk, figuring out how we architect it, while also figuring out how to, you know, make it fully upgradable from a governance perspective. And, you know, was reading a number of articles and landed upon, you know, one of Nick's uh, blog posts about EIP 2535. You know, very soon dove into it and, you know, read up more about how it allowed you to, you know, divide up functionality by faucets while kind of maintaining the same contract. And to Nick's kind of point about how it's kind of one generalist, generalized purpose solution to all kinds of protocols, you know, the more we kind of said, oh, well, can you do this? For instance, you know, state management, um, you know, within contracts, obviously they need to manage states, you know, the balances of users, the state of the system, you know, and Beanstalk, the season number, the weather, the pods, the number of stock, et cetera. And, you know, the diamond storage makes it very easy to share that state across different facets, where if Beanstalk were broken up, you know, the field facet would have to call the season facet to get the season number, which is a cross contract call just to access a state variable. But within the diamond architecture, you can just define one state, add that state to all the facets, and then boom, all of the facets are sharing state variables and can share functionality through libraries. And kind of once you get over that initial kind of learning curve of, you know, okay, this is what a diamond is. How do we use it? And to which, you know, Nick just have to say your documentation is impeccable. It's truly world-class. And, you know, it was funny because the deeper we dove into diamonds, the more it was like, okay, is this possible with diamonds? And it's like, oh, just look on Nick's blog. He's got a whole article about it. So, you know, kudos to you for really firing away on that and, you know, making it very easy for us to use. And, you know, kind of once you wrap your head around the diamond, you're like, I don't even want to go back. I don't ever want to have to try to, you know, break apart a smart contract into multiple contracts. And, you know, kind of over the course of the last few months, we've onboarded a number of developers onto the Beanstalk Farms backend dev team. And, you know, at first glance, they're kind of always like, what is happening here? And then, you know, we always check in with them, you know, a week or two later and we're like, you know, just curious, what are your thoughts on the diamond? And, you know, they all kind of have nothing but, you know, astounding good things to say. So, you know, it truly is a better development experience. It helps us stay more organized. It makes it easier to deploy upgrades, like we said. And, you know, how easy it is to deploy upgrades, you know, allowed us to 
facilitate, you know, upgrades via governance in the base functionality of Beanstalk. You know, upgradability completely in a decentralized fashion is something some protocols struggle a lot with, but we were fortunate enough to just have the ability to just head, call these diamond cuts. And, you know, to Nick's point earlier, the tooling around it is incredible. You know, in this diamond repo, there's just a deploy script and you just enter the facets you want to add and boom, it deploys the facets, you know, submits the, the upgrade request and, you know, that's that. So, you know, truly from an efficient development perspective and providing our users the best user experience and cheapest user experience from a gas perspective, we believe that, you know, the diamond is at the forefront and, you know, never want to go back. That's really awesome. Uh, and I really appreciate you saying it. I'm really glad to hear that. I always really like it when, you know, when I, when I put out some stuff out there and then, you know, there's some people that really get it and they run with it. And, and so, and I'm always very happy to see that. And so thank you. If there's one thing that I never get sick of, it is listening to Publius absolutely geek out. Like I, in, in, for, for both Publius, I can hear that in both of your voices and it always makes me smile. I always get to hear that. Um, so I'm sure they will edit that out. That's just fine. Um, so Nick, when you look at the broader Ethereum ecosystem, what are some of the projects or integrations of the diamond standard that you've seen since implementation that you look at and you're like, wow, that is so clever or wow, I hadn't even thought of, you know, that particular use case. Can you walk us through a couple examples that have really caught your eye? I'll just say that one of the things I'm, I'm looking forward to is, um, is there's another aspect of this diamond thing is this idea of, of reusable deployed faucets where, you know, you, you, you deploy a faucet and it, it can be done in such a way where the faucet is reusable. That means that, you know, someone can have a diamond and they can add functions from the faucet to the diamond and someone else can have another diamond and they can use that same on-chain faucet that's already been deployed in their, in their diamond. And so, I, I'm seeing this a little bit already where some projects internally where they they want to um, be able to deploy different diamonds and they're just reusing already deployed faucets that they've created and they're just doing this internally for their project. But I see a, a future where you basically have uh, a deployed faucet library um, and, um, you know, where, you know, where it's this is because right now we're used to Solidity libraries, or, you know, smart contract libraries like Open Zeppelin, where it's you know we have the code and we just were reusing the code. But I'm excited about this idea of projects starting to deploy their faucets um, on chain and offering them as an on chain library for people's diamonds. And this is kind of uh, I heard someone. Oh, I, I guess this is an example. I heard someone call it plugins for co smart contracts. Um, recently, and I thought, oh yeah, it's a pl plug-in systems for for smart contract. You know, you have a diamond, and then you can you can plug in different contracts into your diamond to provide it functionality. So I'm looking forward to that. That's some that's something that I see a little bit of, and I I, I I'm not surprised I'll see more of. But it'll be a good use case for diamonds as well. I don't know any other mm, architecture really where you can do that, other than I guess. So it's still with external functions, with Solidity libraries. But anyway, so that's something. Uh, I do see people doing things. Um, I, I, I mostly, I, I really tend to more respect and admire the projects that 
have taken the diamond and um, have done a good job with it. Um, and, you know, um, like uh, like Beanstalk and, and there's some others. And, you know, as far as helping the diamond standard, that's one of the best things that a project can do is just is use it and be successful. And I love and I love to see that. That, uh, you know, notion you mentioned, Nick, of kind of, you know, on-chain facet composability is, is super awesome. Can totally see a future in which, you know, it's like you deploy a diamond. Oh, you want a governance system? Implement this governance facet. You want ERC-20 function, you know, token functionality? Implement this default ERC-20 token facet. You want staking functionality? Add this staking facet. And, you know, that way contracts can compose themselves of, you know, even already audited on-chain code, which will make it a lot easier for, you know, contracts to guarantee security and, you know, hopefully will lead to a lot less bugs and, you know, just general optimized contracts across all of Ethereum. So love that idea. Yeah, that's fantastic. Bubbly, so you kind of took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, I was thinking as, as Nick was talking, first of all, the, the thought, the term that ran through my head was plug and play. So plugins right along with it. And then, yeah, Publis, you just hit it. You know, that idea that in the future, you'll be able to move past concerns about code or technical components and, you know, developers or teams will be able to think much more dynamically about like, what are they actually trying to do and not get as hung up or concerned about, well, is there, you know, are, are we going to do some type of, of code implementation that's going to have some nascent issue that we're not expecting? You can focus much more on what the functionality and what the, the overall project goal is. So kind of right along with that, Nick, um, is there anything else that you see as you kind of look out on the horizon when it comes to potential uses for the standard, anything besides you know, the the examples you just mentioned that you think, you know, theoretically, somebody could do X, Y, or Z. I think that there could be uh, new um, standards, which are extensions to the uh, EIP twenty five thirty five Diamond Standard. Like, uh, you know, like uh, like people might have ideas to do, you know. Sometimes people have other ideas of what could be done with it, and I think those are all great. And some of those might make sense to be a standard, uh, like, uh, and I don't really have that much in my mind right now. I just think that there's possibility for standards that build on top of the diamond standard. Even this, we're talking about this plugins. Uh, there could be standards there, um, as far as you know, um, a standard for module faucets uh, is you know like how you the standards for how's the data going to be stored uh, in these modular, in these, yeah, these reusable faucets. So I think there'd be more standards. Um, another area is in uh, upgrades, like the standard is pretty flexible in upgrades. It provides a standard function, but it's optional. And it also says that you that projects can create their own uh, upgrade functions to better suit them. So you don't just have to use the one in the standard. It, you know, so like maybe um, there could be, you know, more creative upgrade. It also doesn't, the standard doesn't limit like who can do upgrades. Like the, the reference implementation has like a contract owner. Only the contract owner can do upgrades. But, um, you know, that the standard doesn't limit that. You know, you could make it so that, you know, people 
can vote and the upgrades only happen based on on-chain voting or um, something like that or um, some you know government systems can be built on top on top of the diamond very cool and uh, you know it's it still feels very early days to the point where you know we're still trying to learn every way we can take advantage of this wonderful standard that you know you've created Nick and uh, you know think we got to figure out how we can most effectively use the existing diamond standard. And, you know, once we figure that out, I'm sure we'll come up with ways in which we can improve upon it. But there really is just so much, you know, it's just such a generalized model that, you know, there are so many possibilities that suddenly just become so simple through this, you know, simple interface and, you know, kind of the whole, the whole diamond cut structure, you know, the ability to just have a general, uh, you know, agreed upon way to upgrade contracts with a rule set is just, you know, truly incredible. And I find it useful to, you know, exactly what you're kind of saying of general, like a general rules or approach to the upgrade and the organization that then can be applied to many different projects. It just, you know, and then, you know, people kind of agreeing to that approach then just makes it easier for communication about projects to getting started on projects and uh understanding them because you know there's someone 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 else um starts a diamond based project then you have to learn that project you've already know diamonds then you already understand its architecture and you understand how it's organized and now you just need to know the the nuances of its domain of like how is it what's it doing for its specific domain so anyway so that, that's all useful yeah and i i thought about that too because like you know, there's some L2 so EVM solutions that don't have a max contract size. And so, you know, that's a question. Should you use uh, the, the diamond in a in an EVM environment that doesn't have a max? And I'd still use it. I'd use it for its, um, its it, it provides this, net, this easy, this organizational strategy that can grow. Like, and so I would still use it even without max contracts. Even though that was initially why it was created and solves that problem, I think the organiz organization that it provides um, its approach um, is, is valuable just by itself. And so I would still use it for that. Oh, another another thing, and this is not, this hasn't been explored that I've seen. Typically, well, contracts that you deploy, you can't query, you cannot query a, a smart contract for all the functions it has. Like you can't, like I can't, you know, I can't have one contract on chain ask another contract, what functions do you have? Or do you have this function? There, there is a standard for, there is a standard for like interfaces, like do you support this contract interface or not, which, which is useful. But you don't, you can't ask a contract, what are all the functions you have? And do you have this specific function? Do you have this specific function? But with a diamond, you can actually, you can do that where, you know, you can query a di one contract can ask another diamond, give me all your functions. And then you can do something. And so I haven't, so that's possible to process the functions of a diamond on chain. And I've never seen anybody do that. I don't, you know, it just hasn't been explored. Maybe there's something useful there. I don't know, but that's something to, to people, someone can explore. Possibly you can create maybe more kind of systems that manage systems. Like diamonds kind of help could, could create more of this automation of, of smart contracts. Which, you know, I, one of the things I've, I've, I've thought about, Ethereum limits what you can do because of gas costs. But in the future, 
there's going to be there there's environments where gas costs are not such a problem. We've seen that on some of these other blockchains like Polygon, where it's a lot cheaper. You can do more on chain, and I think with some of the L2 solutions and future options, you'll be able to create even larger systems that do processing on chain that you couldn't otherwise do. So, and diamonds again may have some interesting use cases there. So to turn that question on its ear just a little bit, is there anything that the Beanstalk community could be doing uh, to help support the diamond standard or you know, anything else that you're, that you're, that you're working on? Uh, oh, um, I think uh, maybe, I, I'm not really sure. We talked about uh, creating a foundation that supports projects that are using the diamond and support more tooling and, uh, and that sort of thing. Um, maybe, but I think, um, you know, I think just, uh, growing and expanding, you know, building a system with EIP 2535 diamonds and, you know, building a good system that grows and is successful. That helps this, that helps it a lot. You know, that's adoption, that's successful adoption helps the, helps the standard. Um, so, of course, that helps and potentially other things. I think, you know, inviting me on this podcast, uh, I appreciate that. And that, that helps too. It's definitely a pleasure. Speaking of, so what else are you working on? What what are the projects that you're spending time on right now and, you know, developing, you know, things that you feel comfortable sharing publicly, of course? Yeah. So uh, recently I, I've been involved in um, the um, smart contract uh uh, security auditing, where just people have asked me to, to, to do that, and so I've done that. Some code reviews. Um, I'm I'm an advisor for for some projects, just just strictly on smart contract technical advisor. So um, so I've been helping some projects on on smart contract technical stuff, and then um, you know I'm I'm in the Discord for diamonds, uh, answering people's questions sometimes, and. Um, you know, just, uh, just around and, um, yeah. Sure. So, so again, as you look more broadly, you know, we've talked about things that might be happening in the future in terms of diamond usage itself, take a step further back. Um, are there any particular, uh, new technologies that you see, you know, in the crypto space or in blockchain more broadly? that you look at and think, wow, that's, that's really interesting. That's something that, you know, could really change how, how certain environments work or how certain problems are solved. Um, I'd say, um, uh, with the EVM stuff, not, not so much. I mean, just, just working with it, but, uh, I've, uh, been looking into virtual reality stuff recently. And I, so, I mean, this is kind of a higher level thing. I really do see how, uh, blockchain, which secures ownership of things, really seems to work really well with uh, virtual reality type metaverses, um, where people will want to own objects and things in virtual reality, and how blockchain can secure that. So, I think that's an that's going to be an exciting uh, thing in the future. Um, I'm really into since 2017, 2018, really interested in the idea of of blockchain securing and transferring ownership of digital things, physical things, um, and, and so on. Um, there's a, I, I've been involved to some degree with a project called Bozen Protocol, which allows you to um, buy and trade things with crypto, but are physical. Um, and like go into metaverses where you can like 
buy and trade physical things inside metaverses. So anyways, I think that, so just in general, I'm interested in all these different ways ownership is secured with, with blockchain, this, I guess is my, my main interest. Um, and then there's all these L2s. I probably should um, explore more of the different L2 solutions. I have some, but I think it's good. Very cool. So how can our listeners learn more about the Diamond Standard and, and follow your work? Yeah, sure. So there is a, a blog um, or a website that I wrote a bunch of stuff. It's eip2535diamonds.substack.com, or you can just probably find it by searching eip2535diamonds. So there's some blog posts that I've, I've written because uh, what's happened is, you know, people ask me, some ask, ask me questions and or they say things. And if I see it two or three times, then I go, oh, this is important enough to write a blog post about it. Um, that kind of thing. Um, or just, I, I just keep writing things that I feel will help people. Um, so let's see, there's the standard itself, which has a lot of useful information in it and also has links in the reference section to learn more. Um, and then there's, I, then there's like the, um, projects like, 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 um, um, well, just different projects that are implementing the, the diamonds. I think they, they tend to create their own material about, about the diamond and how they're using it and provide examples of, of, of how things are done, which I think is useful. Good stuff. All right. To kind of finish this out, um, we'll just ask if anybody has any closing thoughts. And actually, I'll start with you, Nick, and then I'll turn it over to Publius to let them round us out. Yeah, sure. Um, one, one of the common problems uh, with the diamond, well, not problems, but things that comes up is people like they, they're, for, for, they're used to open Zeppelin uh, smart contracts and uh, Open Zeppelin's like their Solidity library stuff in Open Zeppelin works with with their diamonds because because it doesn't have to do with um, modifying state variables. But um, Open Zeppelin's smart contract implementations like ERC seven two one ERC twenty they th those Open Zeppelin those implementations they don't work with diamonds. Like you can't take Open Zeppelin's ERC seven two one NFT contract and use it with a diamond because um, with diamonds, you have to organize your state variables a certain way to make it all work well, and that 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 way is commonly called diamonds diamond storage. Uh, there's, an, there's another way called app storage, which is uh, similar. And uh, all right, so anyway, so so that problem's coming up with Open Zeppelin. Um, Open Zeppelin they have an upgradable version of their of their contracts, and they also because upgradable contracts in general need a way to manage state across upgrades. And uh, so Open Zeppelin has a way of doing that for the upgradable contracts. It's, it's called it's called their GAP. They use these these gaps in 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 uh, storage space to have future room for new state variables. And um, but one of the lead developers says is that for their next major release of Open Zeppelin, they're looking to use Diamond Storage for for the upgradable versions of um, uh, Open Zeppelin. Which is because they, you know, they they see that it's a better than what they're doing, um, but um, but that's exciting too because that means that if they do that, which I hope they do, that in their next major release, then the um, their implementations of thing of smart contracts will be able to work in 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 diamonds. So that's something. Hopefully, happens. Oh, but I should say there is someone who has 
ported or opened Zeppelin's smart contracts to use diamond storage so they can use so that they can be used in diamonds. There's also another smart contract uh, library out there that has implementations of like ERC721 and ERC20 and other things. So you know, in other words, there's already solutions for um, for common things to work in diamonds, but it, I think it'll just get better. Nice. Publius, anything to add as we finish out? Just want to, you know, first off, say congratulations, Nick. That's a real accomplishment to, you know, be able to get on Open Zeppelin's radar. Um, and, you know, just want to overall say thank you so much for taking the time to come on this podcast. You know, we've spent so much time working with, you know, the ERC, the EIP 2535 standard, which you created and, you know, have spent so long, you know, working with your work and I've never really got a chance to have a conversation with you. Um, so, you know, I'm truly honored to be able to have this chat. Also, you know, thank you for all of the great things you said today, um, you know, really opening up kind of and explaining what the possibilities are for EIP 2535 going forward. And, you know, just if anything comes up, any way we can help support, you know, the, the effort to, you know, get uh, EIP 2535 out there, please let us know. And, you know, um, as we're big fans. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you. I'm grateful for, for you too. I've been watching the project and it looks like it's going really, going really well. And I'm really happy to see it go along. And uh, thank you for, for, you know, looking at the, the, the standard and, and giving it a try. And I appreciate that. The Bean Pod is a production of Beanstalk Farms. You can find us on Twitter, Discord, and our home on the web at bean.money. You can also find me on Twitter at RexTheBean. And as a final reminder, this podcast is not financial advice. Thanks again for listening.